0: Chapter 81 of Thomas Wingfold, Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thomas Wingfold, Curate by George MacDonald. Chapter 81 Struggles. He stopped at the Manor House, for it was only beginning to be late, to inquire after Leopold. Helen received him with her usual coldness a manner which was in part assumed for self-protection, for in his presence she always felt rebuked, and which had the effect of a veil between them to hide from her much of the curate's character that might otherwise have been intelligible to her. Leopold, she said, was a little better, but Wingfold walked home thinking what a happy thing it would be if God were to take him away. His interest in Helen deepened and deepened, He could not help admiring her strength of character, even when he saw it spent for worse than not, and her devotion to her brother was lovely, notwithstanding the stains of selfishness that spotted it. Her moral standard was indeed far from lofty, and as to her spiritual nature, that as yet appeared nowhere, and yet the growth in her was marvelous when he thought of what she had seemed before this trouble came. One evening as he left Leopold, He heard her singing, and stood on the stair to listen, and to listen was to marvel, for her voice, instead of being hard and dry as when he heard it before, was, without any loss of elasticity, now liquid and mellifluous, and full of feeling. Its tones were borne along like the leaves on the wild west wind of Shelley's sonnet, and the longing of the curate to help her from that moment took a fresh departure, and grew and grew but as the hours and days and weeks passed, and the longing found no outlet, it turned to an almost hopeless brooding upon the face and the form, yea, the heart and soul of the woman he so fain would help, until ere long he loved her with the passion of a man mingled with the compassion of a prophet. He saw that something had to be done in her, perhaps that some saving shock in the guise of ruin had to visit her, that some door had to be burst open, some roof blown away, some rock blasted, that light and air might have free course through her soul's house, without which that soul could never grow stately like the house it inhabited. Whatever might be destined to effect this, for the chance of rendering poorest and most servile aid, he would watch, and did watch, in silence and self-restraint, lest he should be betrayed into any presumptuous word that might breathe frost instead of balm upon the buds of her delaying spring. If he might be allowed to minister when at length the sleeping soul should stir! If its waking glance, ah, if it might fall on him! As often as the thought intruded, his heart would give one delirious bound, then couch ashamed of its presumption. He would not, he dared not, look in that direction— he accused himself of mingling earthly motives and feelings with the unselfish and true and scorned himself because of it and was not bascombe already the favoured friend of her heart yet how could it be of her heart for what concern had hearts in a common unbelief none but there were the hearts the man and the woman notwithstanding who might yet well be drawn together by the unknown divine which they also shared and that helen whose foot seemed now to approach and now to shun the line betwixt the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven should retire with such a guide into the deserts of denial and chosen godlessness was to wingfold a thought of torture almost unendurable the thought of its possibility nay probability for were not such unfitnesses continually becoming facts threatened sometimes to upset the whole fabric of his faith although reared in spite of theology adverse philosophy and the most honest and bewildering doubt that such a thing should be possible seemed at those times to bear more against the existence of a god than all the other grounds of question together. then a shudder would go to the very deeps of his heart and he would lay himself silent before the presence for a time or make haste into the solitudes not where the sun shone and the water ran but where the light was dim and the wind low in the pine woods. There, where the sombre green vaults were upheld by a hundred slender columns, and the far-receding aisles seemed to lead to the ancestral home of shadows, there, his own soul a shadow of grief and fear among the shades of the gloomy temple, he bowed his heart before the Eternal, gathered together all the might of his being, and groaned forth in deepest effort of a will that struggled to be— thy will be done and not mine. Then would his spirit again walk erect and carry its burden as a cross and not as a gravestone. Sometimes he was sorely perplexed to think how the weakness, as he called it, had begun, and how it had grown upon him. He could not say it was his doing, and what had he ever been aware of in it against which he ought to have striven came not the whole thing of his nature a nature that was not of his design and was beyond him and his control a nature that either sprung from a god or grew out of an unconscious fate if from the latter how was such as he to encounter and reduce to a constrained and self-rejecting reason a self unreasonable being an issue of the unreasoning which self was yet greater than he its vagaries the source of his intensest consciousness and brightest glimpses of the ideal and all desirable if on the other hand it was born of a god then let that god look to it for sure that which belonged to his nature could not be evil or of small account in the eyes of him who made him in his own image but alas that image had no matter how been so defaced that the will of the man might even now be setting itself up against the will of the God. Did his love then spring from the God-will or the man-will? Must there not be some God-way of the thing, all right and nothing wrong? But he could not compass it, and the marvel to himself was, that all the time he was able to go on preaching, and that with some sense of honesty and joy in his work." in this trouble more than ever wingfold felt that if there was no god his soul was but a thing of rags and patches out in the masterless pitiless storm and hail of a chaotic universe often would he rush into the dark as it were crying for god and ever he would emerge therefrom with some tincture of the light enough to keep him alive and send him to his work and there in her own seat sunday after sunday sat the woman whom he had seen ten times, and that for no hasty moments, during the week, by the bedside of her brother, yet to whom only now, in the open secrecy of the pulpit, did he dare utter the words of might he would so fain have poured direct into her suffering heart. And there, Sunday after Sunday, the face he loved bore witness to the trouble of the heart he loved yet more. That heart was not yet redeemed." Oh, might it be granted him to set some little wind a-blowing for its revival and hope! As often as he stood up to preach, his heart swelled with the message he bore, a message of no private interpretation, but for the healing of the nations, yet a message for her, and for the healing of every individual heart that would hear and take, and he spoke with the freedom and dignity of a prophet, but when he saw her afterwards, he scarcely dared let his eyes rest a moment on her face, would only pluck the flower of a glance flying, or steal it at such moments when he thought she would not see. She caught his glance, however, far oftener than he knew, and was sometimes aware of it without seeing it at all. And there was that in the curate's behavior, in his absolute avoidance of self-assertion, or at least possible intrusion upon her mental privacy, in the wrapping of his garments around him as it were, that his presence might offend as little as might be, while at the same time he was full of simple direct ministration to her brother, without one side-glance that sought approval of her, which the nobility of the woman could not fail to note and seek to understand. It was altogether a time of great struggle with Wingfold. He seemed to be assailed in every direction, and to feel the strong house of life, giving way in every part, and yet he held on, lived, which he thought was all, and, without knowing it, grew. Perhaps it may be this period that the following verses which I found among his papers belong. He could not himself tell me. Out of my door I run to do the thing that calls upon me. Straight the wind of words whoops from mine ears the sounds of them that sing about their work my God, my Father King. I turn in haste to see thy blessed door, but lo, a cloud of flies and bats and birds and stalking vapours and vague monster-herds have risen and lighted, rushed and swollen between. Ah me, the house of peace is there no more. Was it a dream then? Walls, fireside and floor, and sweet obedience, loving, calm, and free, are vanished, gone as they had never been. I labor groaning, comes a sudden sheen, and I am kneeling at my father's knee, sighing with joy, and hoping utterly. End of chapter 81